I'm Todd Bartu, and this is Offshore Explorer. Offshore Explorer looks at the world from the Mariner's point of view, port by port. In this series, we discover the important intersections between sailing, culture, and life, past, present, and future. Coming up on today's episode, one of our most popular stories, an allegory that answers the question, how much can you carry? Plus, some tips on how to deal with long sailing voyages. But first, let me introduce our host, Mr. Scott Dodgson. Thank you, Todd. I appreciate it. I hope you're doing well. Yeah. It's remotely, folks. So, um, you know, bear with us. Yeah. But, uh, this next story, which is a bit of an allegory about how much you can carry. Yeah. And... Also, maybe some skills I've picked up on how to deal with your head on long voyages. So, Scott, how are you doing with having to stay at home in these days of social isolation? Well, actually, Todd, I'm, nothing has changed much for me. It's kind of the same. Um, I, sailing left me with a lot of time in social isolation which I get to in this, uh, in this next podcast, but for the most part, I'm a writer. So my life is about sitting in front of a computer and just writing and telling stories. And generally you do that by yourself. And, uh, so nothing has changed much. Maybe the only thing that, that has changed is I can't go out and run. So, um, I'm a little bit, uh, uh, sedentary. Yeah. You can run around the apartment. I can run. Uh, yeah. I have a, I have a, um, Stairmaster. Stair, but I never get on it. I just, I look at it a lot, but I never get on it for some reason. Um, I, I much prefer to go out and just like take really long walks and stuff like that. But since Paulette and I are both, um, in that critical, um, age group of susceptibility to the virus we we're staying home unless we absolutely have to go out and 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 get something um we're being very careful great so tell me about your tips on how to deal with social isolation on long sailing voyages well basically you have to stay busy i wrote a little piece um I suggested to people to sort of wrap their heads around the idea that staying at home is like being on a long voyage. So I say, uh, stay busy like you're crossing the ocean on a yacht. Make two four-hour watches where you must pay attention to something other than the rattle in your head. Eat, read, limit TV, talk to friends, spend a moment being grateful for the beauty of your life. Make something with your hands, write a journal, write some fiction, Write a letter to a friend, sing a song. No, wait, maybe not that one. Dance a little, clean the house. You get the drift of the whole concept of what we're doing. So, um, yeah, it's an idea of, of the whole idea is to stay in the present tense and just approach things as you have them in front of you. Because if you, if you are busy trying to solve the world's problems and your monkey brain is on full bore, you're never going to, you're going to be very dissatisfied with the way you feel. In the movie Going South, Marlon Brando asks Jack Nicholson what sort of business he's in. 
Well, we all know that Jack Nicholson was a cattle rustler, but he answered him, farm implements. And I always think of that when I think of Uve's company. Victory Tractor Implements. Victory Tractor combines quality materials and workmanship with a superior design to provide the very best tractor implements and agricultural support equipment. So we thank Victory and Uve, the owner, for supporting our program and we wish him the best of luck. I wanted to address the idea of being alone in your house or being with your loved ones and sort of getting a little bit stir crazy. Now one of the things that we have to deal with when we're making long passages on a boat is there's nobody else around and you just have beautiful open ocean and all the rest. So how do you deal with that? How do you go along? It's exciting for a while. It's the wind. It's the ocean. It's paying attention to the course. Being on ships, sailboats that travel a long distance require routine. Now there's a lot of discussion about this, but I have found that over, the t over time, I like to run my watches, as we call them, uh, four hours apiece. But I do an overlapping four hours. And I'll explain how it works briefly. In the beginning of your watch, you come on deck and there'll be somebody already on watch and you just ask them what they would like because they're at the end of their four-hour watch. Okay, So you make something to eat, get them a coffee, whatever they want. That's your job, to get them what they want. Then you come up, sit with them while you chow down as well. See where the course is, see what the wind is like, you know, whatever instructions the captain has given. And after an hour, the person on watch goes down and starts his, his sleep time. So you have two hours of watch by yourself before the next person comes up an hour early. So this requires four people to pull a watch and they get to, they go on watch every eight hours, which is fairly reasonable. Especially since during the daytime, everybody is up. Most of, most everybody is up and you can kind of, you know, if you want to catch a nap and you're on watch, somebody's going to be up. It's okay. It's not like it's a military precision type arrangement. So we have this middle two hours, okay? So you, you've eaten on your first hour. Uh, you've had a companion, one of the other people on the taking watch. And now you've got two hours by yourself. And then your last hour is going to be with the next person's coming up on watch. Now we have the two hours that are in between the two hours that you have. Well, as a captain, this is where I pop up. So every four hours on a watch during the evening, during the night, I come up. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? I may stay for a half hour, 45 minutes. Depends on how I sleep. Depends if there's anything to do on the boat. Um, if anybody is 
out there has done a lot of traveling on boats long distance, you will know that if something's going to break, it's always going to be between 2.30 and 4.30 in the morning, regardless of time zone. So that's usually when I'm up. I check the chart. Maybe I'll have a coffee, maybe I won't. A couple of other things I'll check. Make sure I do a complete check of the deck. It's good to have somebody there to be watching you, especially at night. You know, use your safety lines, use your safety harness. You go out on the deck and check the lines to make sure they're not being chafed. See if there's anything that catches your eye. Now, sometimes, you know, it could be some fairly heavy weather that you're having to go through. Water and waves and stuff. I don't recommend going out on the foredeck at night unless you absolutely have to. Like a sail change or something breaks or whatever the case. Stay in the cockpit. But on a normal, you know, maintenance kind of thing, you cruise around, takes 20 minutes, maybe 10 minutes, flashlight, look at everything, check the mast, make sure everything seems to be okay, check the rigging, make sure everything's taut and should be at the, at the tension that it should be. And, you know, whatever else needs to be checked, you, it would become very apparent. And then get back, get back in the cockpit and stay in the cockpit. It's my advice to everybody. My advice after having gone through five hurricanes is the boat isn't going to sink. You'll freak out long before the boat sinks. And if the boat does sink, it's going to float. You don't know how hard it is to sink a fiberglass boat and even a wooden boat. You have no idea. I've attempted it several times which are stories for another time. So the whole idea of the fear of being in your house alone, being with somebody else, you know, I kind of look at it like, okay, we're on a voyage. This voyage may take a couple of months. The coronavirus may take us, it's like a voyage. It may take, take us a couple of months to, to sail in it. Now we could go out, we can take walks, but I recommend to kind of help you with your own head because a lot of people are very busy people, busy people, okay? These are people that are busy when they're not busy. These are people that are busy sitting still. Okay, they're busy, they're doing stuff. Their minds are working like little monkey minds. You know, what can I do, what can I do, what can I do? And getting that turned off is a really hard thing to do. But I recommend setting up a watch system for yourself, okay? Don't sleep all day. You'll be wandering around at night wondering all sorts of weird shit, okay? Stay within a routine. Stay within a clock, all right? Eat at a certain time. I'm going to spend two hours doing this. I'm going to spend two hours doing that. You know, oh, here's a movie I can watch. Don't watch TV all the time. You know, read a book. Teach your kids something. You know, I don't know. But set up a schedule for you that you can repeat every day. And you'll find that the days sort of process a little bit better than if you kind of don't know what's going on. And as Larry David said recently in an interview in the New York Times, he hates people that are depressed and he just tells them to go take showers. And if taking a shower doesn't solve your depression, take another shower. Now we all know that's funny, but it also doesn't get rid of depression in that regard. So, talk to people, use the phone, talk.
talk to a doctor if you need to. This is all kind of public service stuff. But on a boat, you have no, no one to talk to except your crewmates. I've done a lot of single-handing. And I might be the anomaly, but I just love being out in the middle of the ocean by myself. There's just something that is freeing, that is noble, that is just, there's no ties, there's nothing. I mean, there's no yesterday, there's no tomorrow, there's just today. Now, that concept I've used to base my show, where we go from port to port with that refreshed idea of no tomorrow, no yesterday, only today. But while we do that, that's just the idea. We're going to look at things that occurred in the past. We're going to look at the relationship between things and how thousands of years ago, people were really not that much different than they are today. And that those things that you relate to, sitting in your house, whatever, are the same things that people in the past have had to relate to. I was thinking back to my grandparents. Both my grandparents were born in 1900 and they lived in Philadelphia. So they had lived through the Spanish flu in Philadelphia, which took 20,000 lives in the space of six months. And they managed to live through that. I don't know how. And they never really talked about it. But I think it was probably pretty traumatic. So historically, we're living through something as bad or maybe even worse at this moment. Understanding that will lead us to be stronger, to be braver. This is a life and death situation. And hopefully setting in your sailor's mind that we're on a long voyage We've got a watch system, and we're going to do those things that are going to keep us preoccupied because on a boat, you have a limited amount of space to go walking. <laughs> you have a limited amount of space, period. So you have to let your mind have the space where your body can't have the space. So this sense of relationship to things is what kind of propelled me to write this story, which, by the way, on my blog, Offshore Explorer blog, How Much Can You Carry has overwhelmingly been the most popular story. But it's really an allegory, and it's a, in a sense that it's a, it's a very simple exercise to help you relate to the past and put your present in a kind of perspective. And I think it's important to bring this up with the coronavirus and what we have to go through to, to make that relationship. How much can you carry? Okay, that's the question. So how much can you get in your arms? 
How much can you carry on your back? How much can you, how much can you lift? And how far are you going? Now, most of us modern day folks, we end up carrying groceries. Okay, that's our big thing. We should have got a cart, but I'm carrying groceries, whatever. Or we're dragging suitcases through the airport. They got wheels rolling along. That's great. But we end up carrying stuff. We end up carrying our kids for a while. But in any case, the point is, is that we're limited by what we can carry. So I decided to write this allegory between a writer and an engineer to give you an idea of how things get carried and how boats fit into this whole perplexing and interesting phenomenon. So there's a writer. He harvested wheat on his plot of land. He can carry 10 bundles of wheat. The exact measurement here isn't the point, okay? It's just this is as much wheat as he can carry, all right? It's all very relative. He has two miles to walk over a rocky path to a small town with a small market. And what he hopes for is to trade the wheat for a piglet and an amphora of fine mead. Mead is a honey green alcohol, potent stuff, okay? So writers need to drink, trust me. When he arrives at the market, he finds out he needs 20 bundles of wheat to trade for a piglet and an amphora of mead. But he can't carry 20 bundles of wheat. He can't leave 10 bundles as a deposit because he doesn't trust the people in this market. Instead, he trades for the mead and two lively hens. He can carry two lively hens and a large amphora of mead weighing about 40 pounds. But the hens are sprightly. There are no cages to be bought, and he has a problem. Two lively hens, no cage to put them in, and a 40-pound amphora of mead, no way to get them home. You can, you can argue all kinds of different solutions, but the essential problem is you're limited by what you can physically carry, and even more limited if it pecks at you. The engineer is the writer's neighbor and friend. He has the same problem. He made the same deal for the two lively hens in the 40-pound amphora of mead. The engineer solved his dilemma thusly. He used his shoelaces to tie a leash around the lively hen's legs. This way, they won't run away. He fashioned a cage from sticks and vines he found beside the road. And once he secured the lively hens in the cage, he built a hod. A hod is like a wooden backpack. He strapped the amphora to the hod and walked home very happy he had solved his problem. He increased his ability to carry more things with tools. The writer's solution was to drink half the mead. He got very drunk. He cooked one of the hens on a fire made with the sticks next to the road. He fabricated a wonderful story on how he fended off bandits on the road and saved half of everything he traded for. The next year, the writer's wife and children accompanied him because they can't live on one hen that doesn't lay eggs 
and 20 pounds of mead and a story alone. This time they built a cart with the engineer's help. They can jointly carry 30 bundles of wheat by pulling and pushing the cart by hand over an extremely rocky path. The weight is nearly too much for them. In the market, they traded for a rooster. The hen was lonely. Now, they have eggs to eat. They don't know it, but the additional protein is good for their thinking. The next year, they carry 30 more bundles of wheat to the market, but find the price of wheat has gone down considerably. If they could carry the wheat to the village by the sea, a foreign boat captain would pay a higher price. They struggle with their cart. Everyone is exhausted. The writer wants to give up and buy mead. The engineer is tired and despondent. He has no inspiration to move forward. The writer's wife won't let either of them quit. The writer's children are embarrassed by his failings. They finally make it to the market by the sea. They trade 30 bundles of wheat for iron tools, a pot of ink, and a quill. The deal is so good, the writer and engineer decide to buy an ox to pull the cart. Now, mind you, the amount of wheat they carried in the cart with the ox pulling it is about what it takes to make a box of cereal today. When they got home, the engineer and the writer talked about the boat captain's boat. When they got home, the engineer and the writer talked about the captain's boat. It was a technological marvel. The engineer says it is fast and steady over long distances. If they had a boat, they could carry much more. The writer says, we could visit exotic lands, meet wonderful people, and learn new songs. If they had a boat, they could ship hundreds of bundles of wheat to wherever they get the highest price. By increasing the volume of wheat to trade, they could buy more than they ever dreamed, said the engineer. The engineer was excited by the writer's ideas. Drinking mead and speaking of dreams is the writer's forte. The engineer was drunk on dreams as he was on the mead. The writer's wife was making bread in the kitchen. She throws a lot of the wheat shells and stalks away. She only uses the actual grain. The writer has a eureka moment. The writer says we'll strip the wheat and only transport the grain. The engineer calculates in earnest. How much can they carry of just grain? How will they carry just grain? And the writer drinks the last drop of mead and says to the engineer, we'll put the grain in the amphora of mead. The next year, the engineer and the writer show up at the port and offer to sell their wheat, just the grain by amphora. They have managed to carry 12 full amphoras of grain, representing 50 bundles of wheat to the port. To their amazement, the ship can easily hold 12 full amphoras, and in fact, it can hold 100 amphoras 
of wheat grain. This is more than they can grow, process, and carry by ox and cart themselves. So the writer and the engineer come up with a solution. They will form a cooperative with their neighbors. They will collect all the wheat for shipping. At first, they failed to convince the farmers in the village to participate. The farmers were reluctant because they saw the world according to what they can carry and what their ox and cart can carry. Since the beginning of time, they carried their bundles of wheat to the market. Why change? The negotiations stalled. The engineer explained all the reasons why trading grain was better than trading bundles until he was blue in the face. No one swayed. The writer, who was drunk, finally spoke up and said, I hate carrying so much weight to the market, and carrying just grain is easier. He fell down drunk to make his point. The cooperative was formed that evening. Nobody liked carrying so much weight for so little profit. The engineer was a bit jealous of the writer. The next year they arrived at the port with a hundred amphoras of wheat. The boat was not there. The boat never came. The harvest was beginning to rot. The entire cooperative was angry at the engineer and the writer. Their lives were threatened. The writer suggested they make beer with the wheat, as it was a heated discussion has made many a person thirsty, and me just doesn't quench, but beer will, so let's make beer. The engineer had a solution. We will build a boat. The writer agreed. The writer got drunk on beer and wrote poems on sailing. He wrote about adventures he will have in foreign lands. He wrote about the wonders of the world. He wrote love poetry about his wife. His wife was not impressed, and his children called him a fool. The engineer studied the boat and drew up plans to build one. No one was interested except the drunken writer who was already sailing in his dreams. The expense would be too much, too many long man-hours. The men who build the boat would be taken away from their farming. How would they support their families? The writer wrote a heroic poem about the sacrifices of the community and how the community overcame the evils of the world. The poems were so inspirational, the community was moved, and they voted to build the boat at great sacrifice to the community. Since the writer knew so much about the glories of the sea, he was elected to be their captain with one caveat. The engineer will go with the boat, as they do not trust the writer, captain, not to drink the profits in beer and meat. The writer only knew sailing in his dreams. His wife told everyone he was a fool. His children said the same. No one listened. His children were sadly disappointed in their father and feared he would perish at sea because in spite of their disappointment, they still loved their father. So the community built the boat. They loaded 100 amphoras of wheat and 50 barrels of beer and set off to trade. 
When the writer and the engineer returned, they brought with them tools for farming the community didn't possess, chickens that laid eggs more frequently, tin that could be used to turn into bronze, and weapons to defend themselves, whiskey, a favorite of the captain, and many other useful items. The cooperative was very pleased. Later, the community decided to build bigger boats. They traded not only their wheat and beer, but cloth, ceramics, tools, and many other things of use. They made a profit by trading for the needs of other communities and taking a profit in coin. They became very rich. The rocky path to the market became a road. Factories, making all sorts of items, sprung up along the shore. The boatyard grew in size and complexity, all of which started with a simple but profound problem of needing to carry more stuff. One day, the engineer was sitting in the tavern crying. The writer was passed out in the corner from Mead. The writer's wife came in to get her husband, as she often did. She consoled the engineer. Why are you crying? No matter what I design or build, I could never carry as much as your husband, the engineer whimpered. And look, he is always drunk. He tells stories that he just makes up. He knows the whole world. She was aghast. My husband is a drunk. He is worthless except for telling a story. No, you don't understand. What is in his head is the knowledge of the world. That may be so, she said. But he can't carry two lively hens and a 40-pound amphora of mead, whereas you can carry hundreds of amphoras of wheat grain. And with the new boat, you can carry more grain and cloth and tools and many other useful things for the world. She stared at her husband curled up in the corner, snoring. The engineer says... He says, build a cart. He says, buy an ox. He says, trade only grain and not bundles of wheat. He says, make beer because he is thirsty. He says, build a boat. He says, we must better ourselves and be heroes in our own story. The engineer collapses in anguish. The wife, who knows the writer better than anyone, finally says to the engineer, he is lazy and he doesn't want to carry anything, so he makes you do it. The engineer gathers himself and apologizes for making an embarrassment of himself. He is grateful for her concern. The writer stirs. What is all this noise? The wife says, you have caused the engineer distress. The writer stands, a little wobbly, brushes the dust from his coat and snickers. The engineer grows red with anger. And the writer says, I had a dream, my friend, of ships that carry thousands of tons of wheat. And he pauses, realizing his wife is standing there scowling at him. And presents for my beautiful wife, whose name I will make a legend. The engineer's anger begins to subside as he calculates in his mind the concept of a thousand. Could be done. I would need better materials. 
a different propulsion system and larger ports and a bigger shipyard and and he stops and turns to the writer who is smiling you have manipulated me again i did not manipulate you my dear friend i simply opened the door in your mind to the possibility of the new world well that dream has evolved the deadweight tonnage of the largest container ship in the world is 191,317 metric tons. The OOCL Hong Kong has a cargo capacity of 21,413 TEUs. Those are 40-foot containers. 21,413 containers. Carrying between 25 and 30 tons each. That's the largest container ship in the world. So the answer to today's question, how much can you carry? Well, it's a lot. So how did you get the inspiration for the story? Well, one of the things I've always been particularly fascinated by is, is, the relationship between people a thousand years ago and people today. I mean, how much different are we really? So the idea of, of how, how much can you carry? See, this was a, this was a huge thing because yeah, people had, they got carts eventually they, you know, they got wagons. They eventually they got trains, which carried a lot of stuff. Uh, but the idea of how much stuff can you carry um, evolves over time. And the largest object that carries the greatest amount of stuff is a ship. So by following how ships are built and what they were like from the beginning of time to the way they are today, uh, is if it, it sort of got me thinking about how one would develop that and the only way to really talk about it, it was interesting, I thought, is through an allegory. What's the biggest shipment you ever had to carry? The biggest ship? Well, I, I was, uh, when I was in um, high school, I worked on um, uh, an ore boat in the Great Lakes. And so we carried a lot of rocks. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you how much. I'd have to look up to see how much that is. It's expressed in what they call long tons, and I'm not going to get into what long tons are, but that's 2,240 pounds um, of long tons, which is 2,240 long tons, and a long ton is about 2,000-some pounds. But it has to do with how it fits. It's, it's not... It's not um, particularly weight. Um, mm. Ships are ships are measured by displacement, and, uh. and and it goes back to the displacement of how many bushels of wheat, believe it or not, you could put in a ship that was usable storage space for the wheat. Interesting. That's how, that's how it was originally started. So like. The cabin areas where the crew would be wasn't counted. The captain's cabin wasn't counted. The engine room wasn't counted. Only places where you had, you could store the wheat. 
I think it was the Egyptians came up with that. Do you do you have like a funny story of something that you have towed or a, a funny shipment that you've taken? I don't know if they're funny, but there certainly are stories. Well, I do write in this new piece that you know I I took uh, thirty five people off the island of Montserrat uh, during uh, the volcano erupting. That was a lot of people for my boat, 35 extra people. Rescuing people actually is a is a, an important thing that, you know, we don't talk about is, you know, like in Dunkirk, you know, having to do, tran- like just transporting people. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. No, I, I did, I did, um, yeah, I helped get the people off of Montserrat and um, I was one of, I think, 40 ships, 40 boats. And, you know, it was, we had to go into a little bay that wasn't a particularly comfortable bay to be in with a sailboat and pick the people up. And they were terrified because the, um, the lava was literally coming down the street and quite rapidly, you know, like three, four feet a minute. You could literally feel the heat. That's how hot it was. Wow. From the boat. And I was, I was, I was out you know, a hundred feet from the shore. And we got everybody up on the boat and I brought them back. Thank you for tuning in. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to rate and review. You can find us on Facebook and at offshoreexplorer.org. You can also listen to past episodes at offshore-explorer.simplecast.com. Our theme song is sung by Paulette McWilliams, with additional music by Tommy Ivisevich. Until next time, fair winds and calm seas.